Yantif, everyone. So here we are on the, the Day of Atonement. Seems a, a long journey when you take it quite seriously from uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah. We hear the blowing of the shofar for the first time until this day and through this day to this evening. But as I began to teach you last night, talk about it last night, our affliction of soul is not merely for the sake of making us feel bad about ourselves. When we humble ourselves, it's more, as far as God is concerned, there's always a purpose behind it. And the purpose behind it is our restoration, yes? Let's understand that, that God always chastises for the sake of restoration. He's not in the beating up business or even having us afflict ourselves personally. But rather, to help us to realize something about ourselves, about the world, and how it really works. But here's the good news. God gave us a day of atonement. You know, lots of people who are critical of Torah uh, worry about it because it uh, looks like it's, there's no grace in it. It's only because they haven't looked very hard to see what God is saying. Grace is there. It's because God loved us that he gave us many commandments, the Talmud teaches us. The love of God. And we know that God gave us a day of atonement so that we could be free from sin. He gave us sacrifices so that we could maintain our relationship with him. He never left us alone with our sin. So even though it might have been, those ancient sacrifices might have been inadequate, nevertheless, they are, they were essential and have led us to something greater. That which we just heard in that portion from the book of Hebrews. It tells us in Pesikta Rabati, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, Remake yourselves by repentance during the ten days between New Year's Day and the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, I will hold you guiltless, regarding you as newly made creatures. You see, there's great hope in this day. We've often heard it said, oh, our people are banging on the doors of heaven, worrying about whether or not their atonement is made on this day. And the answer is, as long as we are sincere of heart, of course, the answer is yes. This is who God is. He'll be telling me now, some of you will be saying to me, well, then why do we need Messiah Yeshua? What for? We've already got all the sacrifices. All we have to do is go to shul and pray, and everything will be fine. Well, we, if, as long as we're sincere, of course. And I will tell you 
that this is what God had in mind, that if we do not receive our Messiah Yeshua, we will, we will have to go through it again and again and again and again and again for all eternity. And that's not the goal. The goal is not for us to be in endless and relentless uh, repentance, but rather to reach the goal of life restored. Wouldn't we all like to be there? I know I'd like to be there. Don't you get tired of the fact that despite your love of God, despite all the good things you try to do, there's always that little annoying dark place in your heart and in your mind. We all know that place. We've been talking about it for days. We've been praying about it. We spent an hour standing confessing sins, some of which we can own up to. So that's not the goal. The goal is not to endlessly have to repent. The goal is to reach for something greater, something beyond. Michael read that portion for us from, from Jeremiah in which no one will have to teach their neighbor. No one will have to teach their brother because we'll all know it. That's the goal. And that's why we need Messiah Yeshua. Because we, the, the text itself, the words themselves, can only take us so far. Just as Hebrews told us, it said, listen, those parochia, the parochia, all of those things were a symbol to show us that the way was not open. That had to be torn down, and that could only be torn down by the blood of our king. So don't ask me that question again. You know the reason why we need Messiah Yeshua. But having said all of that, we have a great promise in God. And that's what I want to talk about this, uh, now. The great promise that God has given to us, to all of Israel. Because he is a God of grace and mercy and has always been so. This portion comes from Jeremiah also, that very same chapter that Michael quoted from, but although a few verses earlier. Beginning in the first verse of chapter 31 of Yirmiyahu, he says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy them. And for there will be, for there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Now, I, listen, that has not happened yet. You know, we think, okay, 1948, that all sounds just like that. We're all back. No, we are not. There is a day which will be much greater than that day. 
and it is coming. God will be king over all of the families of Israel. That day, one day, he will restore us completely to ourselves. You see, we're a scattered people all over the place. Yes, it's great to have Israel where she is. And we are supporters of that land. But let's not forget that we are scattered here. We are scattered there. Those of us who are here are in Galut, in exile. And that day has to be, uh, there has to be a day of restoration for all of us. And that will come when God makes us one family again through Messiah Yeshua. God will be king over all the, all the earth. And I want you to remember something else. It says here, it says, I want, I want to get to that. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That the love of God is eternal and marvelous, even when it doesn't look like it. Sometimes we think that the Lord has abandoned us. Something is wrong with our lives. Something is not going right today. But it is not true because the love of God is everlasting. I think, Michael, you mentioned, no, Meryl, Meryl, in your sermon, you mentioned that you told the children about the Holocaust and about six million Jewish people being destroyed. I can imagine, and many of us did, that God had abandoned the Jewish people. But here we are. When all the efforts of the world were against us, nevertheless, we survived. And we survived because of the everlasting love of God. The Lord restores us to himself. That's what this day is about. But I will tell you this, friends. God is of no importance unless he is of supreme importance in our lives. That's a quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel, in case you thought I was very witty. If God is not the most important thing in our lives, then we are missing the whole point. God must be sovereign, and he will be. At that time, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. He goes on to say in Jeremiah chapter, seven, uh, chapter 31, verse 7, For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. Among them the blind, the lame, the woman, the child, she was in labor. Together with a great company, they will return here. With weeping they will come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water, on straight paths in which they will not stumble. For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He restores us not only to our land, but to our place. He says, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people. Save the remnant of your people. You know, I told you at the beginning of this holiday, going all the way back to the 
very beginning of it, 10 days ago. Why do we, I ask the question, why do we have to do this since we already have Messiah Yeshua? Why do we have to repent? Why do we have to atone? Why do we have to go through all of this since according to what we've already read, Messiah Yeshua said, you know, it's all done. It is finished. And the answer is right here, that we are the remnant of Israel. What is the remnant? The remnant is not that which remains, that little part that's left over. But the remnant, rather, is that part which is the promise of God's fulfillment of our destiny. And he, Paul talks about this in the, in the, in the ninth chapter, of the, I'm sorry, the 11th chapter of Romans. When he says, has God abandoned Israel? May it never be. Because God loves Israel. Israel is my firstborn. No, rather I have preserved a remnant who are the, the, the down payment on a promise that God will save all of Israel. And that's us. And that's why we have to be on our knees today for the sake of all of Israel. Because I believe firmly in my heart that we will be the catalyst for the salvation of our people. I believe that. I've devoted my life to that principle. That somehow God will use us. Ragtag as we are. Battered as we may be. Silly as we sometimes seem. Out of control. Because that's the way life is on the earth. Nevertheless, we are that beautiful remnant. That hope of Israel. That one day we will all say, Baruch Haba. And so we should be praying the hardest today, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our brethren, according to the flesh. Only then will be, and one day he tells us that we will be restored to eminence. And by supplication I will lead them, I'll make them walk by streams of water on a straight path in which they will not stumble, for I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. I believe that even though we're treated like a red-headed stepchild now, nevertheless, one day we will take our place among our people. And so we pray, so we atone, so we beg God for mercy. And finally, he says, in verse 10 and following, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd, and their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. Then the virgin will rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, I will comfort them, and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance, my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. God will make it happen one day. 
he will restore us to life. Not only does he restore us to himself, restore us to, so- to our sovereign place in the world, our eminence, but he restores us to life itself, and that's what it's really all about. He will give us our true place in this world. And so this day, which seems so solemn, and it is, you know, it's a very serious day. When we confess our sins before the Lord, it's not like we're going to do it lightly or with no, uh, with no gravity. It is a serious day. But it is a day on which to rejoice. Because God has provided atonement for us. And so even though we say it with seriousness, we know that we have a heart filled with the hope of God because of our Messiah, Yeshua. There's one last scripture I want to leave you with. It's found in, uh, this time in Ezekiel. It's uh, chapter 37, verses 24 through the end of the chapter. 24, 25, 26, and 27. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we have, we're all tired already. But I am going to say this. This is my hope for this year. For this year. That the, that the prophecy found in Ezekiel 37 might be fulfilled in us and for the world. He tells us that we will have one king. My servant David will be king over them. And they will have one shepherd. And they'll walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. That we might have one king, Messiah Yeshua, over all of our people. We will have one land. They will live on the land I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it. They and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And then we will have one Torah, one law that teaches us, guides us, directs our path. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And finally, we will all be gathered to one God. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. O Lord our God, we pray for that day. As we atone on this day, we pray that that sanctuary which Messiah Yeshua has cleansed in all the world, might be uh, with us, and you with us in our midst. O Lord, we pray that our atonement has been a sweet-smelling sacrifice in your ears, in in your nose, and our words have fallen upon your ears with joy. Oh, Lord, our God, as we continue with this day, open the hearts of our people everywhere who are all over the world, in synagogues, in their homes today.
May this be the day, may this be the year when finally we see that glorious atonement from heaven that we have longed for. Restore your people. Restore our lives. Restore our land. Restore our hope, we pray. Bisham Yeshua. Amen.